The Business on RT Radio 1 with AIB. We know that your focus is on your business. That's why ours is on supporting you. Well, we were talking there with Michael about the challenges facing the, the construction industry. My next two guests work in that sector, specialising in the highly skilled and ancient craft of stonemasonry. They also come from a long line of stonemasons as the eighth generation of their family to work in the trade. I'm joined now by brother and sister Killian and Petra O'Flaherty. You're both very welcome to the studio. Um, if I could start with you, Killian, eight generations of stonemasons, it's... Quite a lineage. Tell me a bit about the tradition in the family. Yeah, well, uh, thanks for having us on, um, Richard. Um, yeah, so uh, myself and Petra are about eight generation stonemasons. Um, we've always done a mix of, uh, well, it's kind of, we'd be first generation stone cutters as well in our family. Um, historically, we were always more on the masonry side of things. Um, stonemasonry can be uh, divided into two groups, uh, stonemasons and stone cutters. The stonemason is the one who generally fits the work. The stone cutter is the one who makes the work, as in, you know, clients, which are another word for a cornerstone or window sills or any kind of surround, any kind of architectural type of work a stone cutter would traditionally make. And have you traced the family lineage back as to who was who and who did what? Um, and your dad, could, of course, is, is still involved. My grandfather did a lot of work on that. Um, he's passed away now in the last few years, but he did a lot of work and compiled a lot for during the 2013 gathering. And um, my aunt, Denise, has, has, has done a lot of work on this as well. Um, I think it, we can trace it back to roughly the early 1800s, um, roughly where we can find our records, and we can trace back to eight generations. Now, my grandfather used to always kind of say that he reckoned there was more in, you know, stone masonry and bricklaying in our family. But we'd rather be uh, we'd rather be right with eight than wrong with ten, if you know that kind of way. So that's kind <laughs> yeah. of, that's where it is. Stone masons don't exaggerate, basically. Is that, is that oh, it? Oh, I don't know about that now. <laughs> <laughs> and your dad, Terry, he was originally from Ballyfermot. Yes. And... He moved to Wicklow. Yeah, my father moved. My father moved up to Ballynockin about over twenty-five years ago now, maybe twenty-seven years ago. I think now. Just, to, I just wanted to get out of Dublin. Um, you know, I think I was about four at the time, and four or five. Um, and I think Claire. I think my mother was pregnant with uh, our sister Claire, so I just wanted to kind of wanted to get away from Ballyferm at that time and uh, find a more rural, better place to bring up kids. And my father always knew Ballynockin, um, especially for the stone. And he was always into his history, my father as well, you know. So he decided to move to a Wicklow village that's the sort of mecca of granite and stonemasonry. You're not the first person to mention it like that. Yeah, definitely. It has been, it, it, it is looked at in that light. Petra, talking about the family history, the name Petra, yeah, <laughs> named after the, the ancient city in Jordan. Yeah. Petra, I, I remember coming across it on uh, Indiana Jones and the mm. Last Crusade, the, the the final scene where the Holy Grail is and they ride through this channel on the horses out. It's this incredible looking place. And I remember saying, oh, where's that? And it's Petra and it, it means stone. Yeah. So I think it actually was a good name for my job now. <laughs> but, um, yeah, you were thinking ahead. But uh, my dad just th thought it was a lovely name and, you know, it had a lot of meaning to him and then our family history as well. So, you know, he went for Petra. Wasn't always on the cards, though, was it, that you would go into this? No, I was trying to get into nursing for years, ever since I was in school. Um, I even did like a PLC and everything to get into college. And I was in college and then Killian started working on um, a building that's very cool beside us. And it kind of took over my life a little bit and I made the change. So a good decision. <laughs> and Killian, you, it wasn't from day one that you'd wanted to go into stone masonry. You, you studied architecture. Right? Yeah, I went into architecture first in a WIT um, and uh, I did I, I did two years. Actually, you know, 
I, I tell a lie, I didn't do two years, I did a year and a half, I didn't go back after Christmas. Um, it just wasn't for me. So you definitely was, don't do exaggerations. Um, yeah, no, it just wasn't for me. Um, don't get me wrong, uh, I went in, the, the thing about architecture, you know, I went into it with the idea that you were going to be making and designing in this and it was, I, I wasn't fond on the the whole planning applications and building regulations side of it, which is a very, very important part of it, a massively important part of it. But I kind of preferred the idea of making and building and designing things in whatever medium that was. So that's kind of where I said, this just isn't for me. There is scope within it to, to put your own stamp on things and to do things in your own way. Your dad was an example of that with um, a church in, was it in Crumlin? Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Tell me about That's that. actually kind of a, become a little uh, folk story now at this stage now. I don't know, do you know much about that church? No, I don't know. My father, uh, his company is Stonecraft and uh, he, um, he, at the time, he had a lot of guys working for him and they were doing a lot of conservation work on the church at the time and um, they built a she and a gig up on the, in, into the, up at the parapet of the, the top of the church and um and it kind of they put it in it was a nice piece of stone but it wasn't kind of specified to be put in they just put it in they just decided yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> they just decided let's put this stone in and it's actually they do tours around Inchicore and uh, coming in the area where it's actually it's become kind of a bit of folklore around the area I mean father actually got a phone call about that a couple of years ago about did you just put that in and he says yeah he says, my father says look we can go up and take it down no we love it up there it's brilliant it's become a yeah. it's become a, t- a tourist attraction nearly it's so, on a walking tour it's on a walking tour yeah, it's on the walking tour they're, yes. they're very proud of that yeah. Yeah. and when it comes to the craft Killian, how, how do you know you're good at it and what I mean is it, it, you've got to do an apprenticeship but what kind of tasks do you need to do maybe to qualify or towards the beginning or the end of your apprenticeship? Um, the stonemasonry apprenticeship um, I would consider myself to have a unique perspective on the stonemasonry apprenticeship in Ireland um, the stonemasonry apprenticeship was rehashed in 2014 up to that point you couldn't have been a stonemason officially through which was FOSS at the time even ANCO maybe at that stage um, you couldn't become an, a stonemason with papers since 92 so uh, fair play to Sullis and the Department of Education and the ETB. They pumped a lot of money into that that module for stonemasonry in 2014. I was a part of the first, the second year I think I was. I think I registered in the first year but I didn't go down until the second going. Um, to, to this day, since 2014, since that uh, apprenticeship was rehashed and redone, I'm the only stonemason who has done the course, done the five years as an apprentice and then gone on to take an, an apprentice on and as an employer and put them through the course. But do you have to take like a large piece of stone and turn it into something. Yeah, yeah. Well, when we were down, um, Tom Little is the only instructor for stonemasonry in Ireland and he's been the only instructor for over 30 years. Um, What Tom does in your first phase in stonemasonry is your first three months, you're given a massive piece of stone, half the size of this table, and it might be a big rough boulder. And the task, the task is to shape it into a perfect cube. with, With like hammers and chisels, no hand, no nothing. And the idea is you get it done in three months or in four months, whatever it is, it doesn't matter what size it is, you know. So the the, the importance is the exercise of doing it, and not and if you make a mistake, take it all down, bring it back in. This so, sounds so, like something out of Karate Kid or Miyagi. <laughs> no. Is he? Is, um, no, what it is is like you're kind of learning how to use hand tools and to square a block perfectly with hand tools. To you know, it's it's kind of like a necessity of the course that you have to use hand tools, and then. You go on to use power tools in later phases and stuff like that, but he kind of is a bit of a yeah, Mr. Way. Tom's a bit of a guru, is he? Yeah. <laughs> there's a reason. So there's a reason why he tells you to do wax on, wax off. One of the things about talking about eighth generations in the family, and 
the ancientness of the craft. And I'm thinking about, for example, the, the Freemasons started as, as Masons mm. and they had their own language, which was a way of carrying around their, their CV, the words that they knew was a reflection of their accomplishments. In stonemasonry, it does or used to have its own kind of language, didn't it? Kim? Yeah, the language is called Bear Larga. Um, I mentioned my aunt Denise. She actually she did a thesis on it when she was in college on it. Um, my grandfather could speak it. Um, my father would know a bit of it, but he wouldn't be fluent, if you know what I mean. Myself and Petro, unfortunately, we wouldn't know any of it. But we're looking to change that in the future. Yeah, it was historically they had their own language. It was kind of it was kind of a mixture of Irish, English, and Latin. Um, and what was the function of that language? It was so they could they could speak privately amongst themselves. That was actually the main reason. Give out about the other traits. Essentially, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, it, it, it created a closeness, if you know that kind of yeah. way. Because stonemasonry historically was always a very closed shop. You couldn't get into it unless your father or an uncle or somebody was involved in it. And Petro, when you look at buildings, stone buildings, you must see them kind of differently to, to the rest of us. What, what buildings around Dublin or in Ireland are your favourites? Um, I really like Glendalough. Did you ever go to Glendalough? I have, yeah. Uh, the round tower there, but especially the headstones. Kind of a weird one to say, but I really like the, the headstones and walking around and looking at the, the lettering and stuff. Because like, as someone that's doing stone masonry, you can kind of tell if something's sandblasted or hand-carved. And up there, a lot everything is kind of hand-carved because it's very old and the monks did it. And not even the headstones, there's carvings that the monks did on the walls and stuff. So, you know, I find Glendalough very interesting. And the summer up there as well, you can stay late. People that probably shouldn't say this, but they don't really close the, the parking spaces up there till really late in the summer. Right. So <laughs> That's a whole other story. Yeah. What about you, Killian? I mean, headstones, Petra mentioned there, that's part of part of the world of stonemasonry? Is it a big part of it? Um, yeah, it's it's not all stonemasons would do it though. Like we do headstones in the sense that uh, we make headstones. We don't, um, it's, an, it's an extra service on top of what we do. But we don't, like when someone wants a headstone, you don't put a brochure in front of them and say, pick one and then that'll take 12 weeks to bring it in from China. We don't take part in that whatsoever. Everything that we do is made in Irish stone. If someone wants a headstone in Kilkenny limestone, Donegal sandstone, Wicklow granite, Ballynockin granite in, in particular, we'll go to the appropriate quarry and make it from scratch. You mentioned there about China. Chinese stone began to be used in Ireland quite a few decades ago, didn't it? That, that affected the, the whole The Chinese stone here. came in the 60s and it decimated. People kind of think that like our concrete came in and changed everything. It did in a way, but the, the Chinese granite and Indian limestone coming into this country decimated the stone trade. It absolutely decimated. It. Like even like you take for instance the the, the village that we're from, Ballynockin, the Granite Village. Um, like uh, the, during the famine, there was up to four hundred men working there. It was a massive, massive industry. And up into the sixties, there might have been about hundred people working there, maybe hundred and fifty. So that all changed overnight. You know. I know you're going to tell me, of course, that you know Irish stone is superior to the Chinese imported stone. Do you see that imported stone in in buildings, even in kind of oldish buildings where where my Oh yeah there was there was a, there was a lot of work you know from kind of the 70s onward there was a lot of work where maybe some of these buildings that were 3 or 400 years old needed work done and it was a case of it was cheaper to put the, the foreign stuff in and no one cared it's only that now in the last 20 30 years people are kind of copping on they're looking at the 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 foreign granite the chinese granite age doesn't age like the irish stuff so where where might someone see that Do you know what the best example is of chinese granite the halfpenny bridge the halfpenny bridge mm. So even though it was very, very old, it was sort of the, they renovated. Put, they, they, put it, they put a new entrance, they put a new kind of gangway entrance on it, just as you were about to step onto it, and it looks like painted styrofoam. It looks quite, it looks very different. Especially, especially when, like if you had Chinese granite on its own with something else, it's fine. Um, well, well, I wouldn't say fine, but <laughs> when you put it beside the Irish granite, it's just, it's complete, it's chalk and cheese. And the, the thing about, um, especially Ballynock and granite in particular, 
the village that we're from, Ballynockin is a continuing living history. Uh, and I'm not just talking about ourselves. I serve my apprenticeship with McAvoy, C. McAvoy and Sons up in Ballynockin, and they are still an existing quarry, quarrying granite and working stone. So there's a long so tradition it's, of that. It's, we, we look at ourselves as a, as a turning page in what we do. We're just and part of it. What about your favourite buildings? It would be a mixture of uh, probably St. Francis Xavier's Church would be one of my favourite buildings. I was actually built in Ballynock and Granite. Um, it'd be on one of my favourites. the Gardner Street, yes. north side yeah, of Dublin. Yeah. Ones, yeah. Any others? Oh, I don't think we have the time to do it. <laughs> <laughs> Christchurch is a fabulous one. You know, you'd see a big difference in the stonework in Christchurch to like maybe say St. Patrick's Church and it's only up the road. From it. what's, what's the difference? Uh, standard. And the difference is them type of projects that took 50 or 60 years to make, there might have been, let's say the project has started and they have a good crew of stonemasons, like 100 stonemasons, the work is really good. Then a war or a famine comes along and it, it gets put down for five years and then suddenly some of the older guys die off or standards drop. And you can see in some of these buildings where it was really good standard of work and then it looks really crap in some spots where you know, something might have happened. You go and look through the books there or the histories that it's, oh, there was a famine or there was this or whatever. Um, Petra, is it a very frustrating job particularly I suppose when you're learning and getting better at the craft because when you make a mistake w with a piece of stone do you have to just get rid of it and start again? I mean that's the idea but like with stonemasonry when you're learning you don't want to break it so much so there's very little mistakes if you take your time and you know it's it's a t the type of thing that you're given time to kind of practice and learn especially down when down in Tralee you're like told like take your time don't break it so it's kind of hard to break things when you're looking out for it and constantly like cautious the fact that if I break this I have to start again so you need a bit of patience you need a bit of patience you need yeah. to get your mindset right yeah. with it as well if yeah. you get your mind into the right space and you hone in on it you, you won't be making mistakes yeah. well guys it's been absolutely fascinating eight generations of stone masonry in the family Killian and Petra O'Flaherty thank you very much for joining us on the programme we'll be back after this break